The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Hey, good morning, Grace City Church family. I hope you're doing well today. Thank you so much for joining us online. Um, as many of you know, right now our men are away on the men's retreat, and so we are gathering online today, but we will be back next week. And as the men are uh, being discipled and encouraged in the gospel, I just want to encourage the women as well that there's going to be a women's retreat coming up very soon. We hope you get uh, signed up for that. Uh, but again, we're going to be back next Sunday uh, in person at Stanley Park. So today we're going to be continuing in our series in the book of Acts and we're going to be looking at uh, the second part of Acts chapter 11. So last week we talked about the first part uh, of Acts chapter 11 looking at Peter and and today we're going to be doing the second uh, portion of that and we're going to be looking at the church in Antioch. And so this is a very important passage of scripture from Acts chapter 11. We'll be looking 19 through 30. And the message is this, a diverse church. You know, over this past year, as we've been looking at the early church and how God shaped, formed, and empowered them after the resurrection of Jesus, what we see today is that there is this this movement that is is continuing to grow. And and it's not built on uh, pragmatism in in the insight of the church leaders uh, to expand and diversify, but instead... It was truly built on the work of God as he transformed heart after heart, life after life. And it would not be possible without the work of God in each person's life. See, the the, the book of Acts in the Bible is about God. It's God's story. It's how God is the hero of the story. And today, we're going to be looking at um, the church in Antioch and how uh, Jesus, in the very beginning of Acts, said that they would reach uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the very ends of the earth. And so Jesus was right. It's happening. The gospel explosion that's going to reach the world is going to happen in the passage that we're going to be looking at today. Now, before we jump into it, we need to understand how countercultural this was then and it still is today. In his book, Love in Hard Places, Don Carson suggests that ideally the church isn't comprised of natural friends, but rather natural enemies. Here's what he says. He says, what binds us together is not common education, Common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything of the sort. Christians come together because they have been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. In the light of this common allegiance, in light of the fact that they have all been loved by Jesus himself, they commit themselves to doing what he says. And he commands them to love one another. In this light, they are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. Again, like I said, this is not something that we could come up with, but it was something that God came up with. And his church is a diverse church that is going to be made up of people that you would have not naturally not hung out with, uh, but God brings you together. 
I remember very, very early on in, the, in the, the life of the church, as the church was starting to form, and we were just a small group of people, um, I remember one of our, my, my friends, who's still a part of our church today, uh, looking at another person that was a part of the, the group at the time, and, and, and they had this conversation. One of the things he said was this. He says, you know, if it wasn't for Jesus, I probably wouldn't have hung out with you. But now that I've hung out with you, I love you, and I see you as my brother. See, that's what the church looks like, and that's what's starting to happen all throughout the book of Acts. And so, it's only through Jesus that we can see this type of diverse family. Now, our text again is from Acts chapter 11, 19 through 30, and and what can we learn about what it looks like to, to be a diverse church? Well, we see three traits of this uh, from the passage. And so we're going to break it down in three ways. The first one is it's a, there's a scattering that happens. Second, there's a solidifying that happens. And third, there's a sending that happens. Scattering, solidifying, and sending. So number one, scattering. Look at verses 19 through 21. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Now let's start with verse 19. It says that those who were scattered. So this word for scattered, it also can be translated as dispersed. They were driven to different places. And so what we need to understand is this, that the believers were taken outside of their comfort zone because of persecution. Now, you remember before we were studying the life of Stephen and how Stephen had stood up to the religious leaders of the time. He'd preached the gospel, but he was, he was killed. He was the first martyr in the, the, the process of, of, of sharing the gospel. And so as Stephen was murdered, we see that there was a great scattering and persecution that happened amongst the churches. And so what had happened was it spread them all over the world in different parts of the world. And so right here we find where some of these believers had ended up. It says that some had traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking to the one, or speaking uh, the word to no one except Jews. But then it says in verse 20, there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, and so this place, Cyprus and Cyrene, were located in northern Africa. Now, remember before, there was an Ethiopian eunuch who, who came and, and heard the gospel from Philip and went rejoicing about Jesus. And so we see that the, the gospel had reached Africa. And what we find here is that there are some men from Cyprus and Cyrene, some North Africans, who came to Antioch and spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, to give us some insight here, we need to understand what's going on as far as Antioch and and Cyprus and and all of these things. And so to give us some insight here, Timothy Keller expounds a little bit, and here's what he says. He says, "Up, up until this point, when the Christians took the gospel message, they took it to people who already believed the Bible. 
They took the gospel message to Jews. They took the gospel message to Samaritans who also believed in the Hebrew scriptures. They took it to the Ethiopian in Acts 8 and Cornelius, the the Roman centurion in Acts 10. But these people were what they called God-fearers. They were Gentiles who believed the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. For the first time in history, though, we're told here in verse 20, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to preach to the Greeks. They spoke to the Greeks. Now, the word there is Hellenist, which means polytheists, people who were ancient pagans. They did not believe the scriptures at all. They were given the gospel message, and many of them became Christians. And so here's what we need to understand. First, it's this. What is it that united God's people as they were scattered? Okay, as they were scattered across many places. It wasn't common surrounding, common ethnicity, or comforts. It was Jesus. It was the message of Jesus. It was the, 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 the inclusivity of the message of Jesus, but also the narrowness and the exclusivity of what the message is. You see, God was powerfully working through the message of the gospel. And we've talked about this before, how the gospel message is different than any other message in the world. It is radically different because what it is, it's not based on your religious efforts and abilities and strengths. No, it is solely based on what Jesus has done. It's based on what God has done. And it's you holding tightly to what Jesus has done in faith, saying, my life And my religion is based on Christ. Radically different than any other religion at the time. And still is today. And you see, through that message, God powerfully worked because Jesus connects with every people, every culture, every human heart. And so these these North Africans, the Cyprus and the Cyrene, the men from Cyprus and Cyrene, go and they start to share the gospel in this place called Antioch. Now we're gonna talk about Antioch in a minute, but here's what we need to understand as we think about the gospel message today. Because you think maybe, and it's been said before, that, well, Christianity is just for one ethnicity or, or one ethnicity really focuses on it. But what we see is that the faith is global. It is global. And it's not... One, fa- or one ethnicity's religion or another eth- ethnicity's religion. No, it is for all people. It's for all people. And what we need to understand is that the, the message of the gospel came to Africa before it came to Europe. It did. It came to Africa before it came to Europe. Some people need to understand that today because we think, well, that we try to separate that. And we try to make it a sticking point for people. And we say, well, I've heard it said before, well, Christianity is a a white person's religion. No, it's not. No, it's not. It it is founded in a a, a global uh, message. And so Laman Senna, who's a professor at Yale Divinity School, speaks to this. And he talks about how the gospel message met the African people. He says, Africans sense in their heart that Jesus did not mock their respect for the sacred or their clamor for an invincible savior. 
So they beat their sacred drums uh, for him until the stars skipped and danced in the skies. Isn't that a beautiful visual there? Christianity helped Africans to become renewed Africans, not remade Europeans. Here's the thing. We can learn something from our brothers and sisters all over the world. Different places that I've been, and I've listened to my brothers and sisters in Asia. I've listened to them in Europe. I've listened to my brothers and sisters in South America. And to hear the different ways in which I've learned something unique about who Jesus is, it's a beautiful thing. And what we see here is that as they're scattering, they're seeing that there are people that may look different than them, but that they're connected to because of what Jesus has done. And so do you see in the text here that there is this bold faith from these men from Cyprus or Cyrene, these North Africans, and that God used them to literally change the world. But here's what we need to to also notice, that we don't know their names. We don't know their names. You know, one of the things in our culture today is this, that we say, well, you need to go change the world. People need to know your name. People need to know who you are. But not according to this text. We don't even know their names. But their faith and boldness in Jesus is what took it outside of just the Jewish people. Right? There's an explosion that's starting to happen through these unnamed people. And I think that's an important thing to remember. Tony Morita says this. He says, if you've ever wondered whether unnamed Christians really make a difference for the kingdom, the answer is yes. These men were just being faithful to Jesus. They had no plan, no program, no budget, just a zeal for the Lord. And he worked through them in a mighty way. Some of you have written yourself off and said, there's no way that God could use me because I I don't have a lot of followers on Instagram or social media or I don't have a lot of connections or this or that. Whatever reason it might be. But I just want you to know that, again, God sees you. God works through the unnamed. God works through the lowly. God works through the seemingly weak in the world. And so we see as they're scattering, God's reaching people in new places. The second point is solidifying. Look at verses 22 through 26. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas sent uh, to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And so what we see here is there is a solidifying that's happening here. This is a really important point. Um, And so the, the church in Jerusalem heard what was going on in Antioch, and they sent Barnabas. Now, we remember Barnabas, um, as we look at him for, in verse 22 here, earlier in the book of Acts, uh, we see that Barnabas was a humble man. He, he was a man that loved the Lord. He served the church. And Barnabas uh, gladly goes to see what God is doing in Antioch. And so he steps out, goes to Antioch, which is the third largest city in the Greco-Roman world. It was around 500,000 people. It was a cosmopolitan, uh, commercial type of place. Um, 
But here's the other side. Antioch was also known as the abode of the gods. And so they had a lot of different religions, a lot of different faiths that were there, a lot of different worship that was happening. And so what could have happened was this, that, that Jesus could have been just another added God to the smorgasbord of gods that were being worshipped. And so as Barnabas sees what God is doing there, he makes sure to start to solidify what the church is and who the people are. John Stott says that there was no more appropriate place that could have been imagined either as the venue for the first international church or as the springboard for the worldwide Christian movement. Now, this is, this is an important city, Antioch, that Barnabas is going to, but he sees that something needs to happen. Uh, so the second point is this, verse 23, he, he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Um, what we see is that Barnabas here, he starts to exhort them. Um, the, the word is, is parakaleo. And so, so what it means is this, that, that as Barnabas comes alongside them, he doesn't just encourage them and say, way to go, glad you know Jesus. But he starts to tell them the truth. He starts to come alongside them as a coach. He starts to come alongside them um, and, and work with them. And so what we find in Scripture is this, that it was built on truth and grace, truth and grace. And so he's teaching them the word of God. See, one of the things that's been missing in the church for uh, at least the, the, the church right now is that there's not much teaching on who God is. And so we, we expect people to know who he is, but we don't teach them. Um, back in the day, they, in the, the scriptures, the, the, the way that it's called is, is catechesis. And so there's a Greek word uh, that we get for catechism. And so there was a, a way in which they strategically told people, said, hey, this is the basic tenets of the Christian faith. That's why we do like a foundations class or anything like that. That's why it's important because you need to know what it means to be a Christian and the basic tenets of what it, that, that looks like. Uh, but what we see here is that <clears throat> Barnabas believed the same thing. And so he says, I need to get them some good teaching. I need to help them. I need to walk alongside them. So not only does he, he see that, but he says, I can't do it alone. And so he goes out and he reaches out to Saul, who is a leader uh, in the church. And he says, I want to I build you up, Saul, as a, as a leader, I want to build you up more and more. And so I'm going to take you with me and we're going to do this together. And look what happens. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So they spend a whole year focusing on the word of God, on teaching about who God is, on teaching different aspects of the gospel and how it works out in your life. See, it's really important for Christians, for us to know what we believe so that we can go and live it out. Because the second part is this, that they were called Christians, little Christs. That, that, that's what they look like. It wasn't just in their words, but it was in their actions, and it flowed out into who they were. See, as they were being taught and built up in the gospel, they're not known any longer by being from different places and having different ethnicities but they are now known as one people, Christians, Christians. 
See, 1 Peter 2.9 says this, but, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. You see, God is making for himself a people that reflect who he is, the glory of God, right? And so that's flowing through real Christians. There's a difference. There's something different. It's not just head knowledge, but it hits the heart and it comes out in the way that we live. All right, so there's a solidifying that's happening here and people are seeing it and they're saying, oh, those are Christians. But lastly, we see this, there's ascending. Verses 27 through 30. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch and one of them named Agabus uh, stood up and foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So it happened. Um, and I love how technical Luke is because he, he points out, he says, this is the time when it happened and, and you can look it up. And so um, again, uh, that's why I really enjoy reading uh, Luke and, and Acts is, as this is, this is the real, real deal. But verse 29 says, so the, so the disciples determined everyone according to his own ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. <clears throat> so let's look here at the end. What's happening? Uh, verse 28, there's, there's a, a prophet named Agabus who, who stood up foretold that there would be a great famine over all the world. And that's really what we need to understand. Right? There was no news or, or projections or any of those things. And so God spoke in miraculous ways through people like Agabus in the early church. And as we look at what he, he told them, he says, there's going to be a great famine in all the world. Now, why was this important? First, it's this, that, again, just because we're Christians doesn't mean we're not going to face trials and difficulties. And so there was trials and difficulties coming. But there was also a response that was, that was, that was uh, being pulled out of the church to help. And as we see this response, what we find is that this response is this. It's willing, right? Verse 29 says that everyone according to, to their ability wanted to give. It was what they can give, right? The, 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 it's not overextending, but it's saying what's, what's within the, the ability? And even as we look at the scriptures, it says that what's in your heart to give? That's where we give. That's how much we give. And so everyone according to their ability, um, but they generously gave, Verse 29 says that they were, uh, they were giving to people that they'd never met. Brothers living in Judea, they'd never met these people. But they'd been so radically changed by the gospel that they were generous in saying, that's my brother, that's my sister. And so they were sacrificial. And, and what we find is that it's Barnabas and Saul who are the ones that are sent out. You know, after spending a year there, the relationships that are built, the way in which they'd poured in, they were sent out. And, and I'm, I'm sure that this is a very hard moment, but they said, you know what? We are going to send them to go. And what we find out throughout the scriptures is this, that uh, being a Christian is living a sent life, not a stagnant one. You know, we want to hold on to everything that we have. We want to hold on tightly to our life right now and say, I don't want anything to change. 
But what we see is that if we don't follow in the stream of what God is doing and where he's calling us to go, we become stagnant. We become stagnant. And so there's a sending that happens here, and we see that Barnabas and Saul are sent. We're sent. They're seasons, and they're sent. And so just some takeaways for today. As we look at this passage from, uh, from, from Acts 11 and just see the diversity in the church and the, the expansion of what God is doing, what do we need to ask as we apply this to our, our lives? The first one is this, and, and I think this is more of a personal thing that you need to ask yourself. As we think about the, 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 those, those men from Cyprus and Cyrene who went out and started to speak to people about Jesus, that, that didn't have any clue <clears throat> about the Hebrew Scriptures. As we saw them get out of their comfort zone, my question to you is this. How diverse is your circles that you run with? How, how diverse is the people that, that you build relationships with? Because what we see is that the, the, as we look at who Jesus is and, and really what it looks like to be a Christian, we should have a really diverse group of people that we're friends with, that we build relationships with. And it should look in many ways multi-generational, but also multi-ethnic. You know, it should, should look like, um, like heaven. You know, for us, like, do we keep people on the outside because they don't look like us or they don't act like us? I was scrolling through Twitter recently, and I saw this picture, and it was, it was pastors, and I know one of them, and, and I, I just was scrolling through it, but I looked at the picture, and it looked like everybody was dressed exactly the same. You know, they looked exactly the same. <laughs> they were li- literally like, they like called each other and said, what are you wearing today? You know, one of those type of things. That's how it looked. And, and I thought to myself, like, is that what my friend group looks like? Is that what the people that I hang out with looks like? Because I want my group of friends to be a group of people that look way different than me. And, and, and I think there's a diversity that, that we have in the, the body of Christ that it just kind of flows when you become Christians, right? It just becomes who you are. The second point is this. Are you solid in your faith? I mean, we ask the question, like, why are we doing the men's retreat? Why are we doing these things? But um, the reason is, is that we all need a Barnabas. We all need exhortation. We all need to be challenged and, and, and pushed and sharpened. Because as we look at the work that Barnabas was doing, really it's the work that the Holy Spirit does all the time. See, the, the Holy Spirit is the paraclete. He's the one who comes alongside and speaks conviction into our hearts. He's the one who who helps us to grow. He's the one who pushes us further than we would have gone on our own. And so my question to you again is, are you solid in your faith? Is it a solidifying faith? Because we see people, again, I I see it in the news all the time. My wife told me, she said, "There's there's another pastor that's come out and said that they're not a believer anymore. Or they've done something kind of out there, crazy, right? And it's like, okay, where did the discipleship happen or where did the lack of discipleship happen? 
we need to ask ourselves. How solid are we in our faith and are we growing personally in a way where we could say, you know what, I'm gonna face some trials, I'm gonna face some questions, I'm gonna face a lot of different things that are gonna come at me. But at the end of the day, do I know Jesus and am I solid in him? Galatians 6, one through three, and this is more of a paraphrased version of this verse, but I thought it was interesting as I read through it. It says this, if someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens and so complete Christ's law. If you think you're too good for that, you're badly deceived. You know, I, I think that's a really good illustration of, of, of what we need to hear many times throughout the day and many times throughout the week. And like I said, we all need a Barnabas that's gonna sharpen us and encourage us and exhort us to seek Jesus. Lastly, it's this. Do you have a conviction that you are sent? That you are sent? That God sends you? to wherever places that you go, to wherever places you scatter throughout the week, right? Because we gather on Sundays. But throughout the week, you're scattered in different places, in your neighborhood, at your workplace, at your kid's soccer, wherever it might be. Do you see yourself as a person that's sent there, that God could be sending you into those places to serve and to help and to, to point people to Christ? I like this quote from J.D. Greer. He says, the great commission is not a calling for some. It is a mandate for all. When it comes to a calling, we don't need a voice. We have a verse, Matthew 28, 19. It is now our responsibility under the direction of the Holy Spirit to evaluate how we are best suited to fulfill that call. We see every member of our church as a potential missionary to be equipped and mobilized. Our goal is to send some, or not to send some, or even our best, but to send all into the mission to our city, across the country, and to the other side of the world. You see, why do we say at the end of every gathering, Grace City, you're sent? It's because we believe that you're a missionary to wherever he's sending you to, to go, to be a light for Jesus there. And so, as we wrap up today, do you, do you remember when Jesus got really angry? Like, do you remember that, that moment where he, he started to flip tables? Because that, that, that's a very famous thing. Even non-Christians know this account of when Jesus flipped tables, when Jesus was upset. See, what made him so upset? Do you, do you know why he was so upset? Well, Mark 11, Jesus tells us it's verses 15 through 17, and here's what Jesus said. He says, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. For all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. What made Jesus so upset 
and angry is that that part of the temple that they were using to sell merchandise, to, to, to make a mockery of the house of God, was the only place that people from all over the world could come and hear about the one true God. And now it's no longer inside of a temple. But he says, Jesus says, you're my temple. You're my people. You're the ones who are that place, that sacred place that I'm gonna work through to tell people about who God really is. But we have to ask ourselves today, have we made it a den of robbers? Have we just chosen other things and been distracted by other things? Or are we praying to God and saying, God, because of what Jesus has done, because of the work of Christ, because he was so angry he flipped tables, but you know what, it also got him killed. And he was hung on a cross for the world to see. Why'd he do it? Because he took the worst of us on himself and gave us the best of who he is and said, here, I'll take your darkness, I'll give you my light, and I'll fill you with that light to take to the ends of the earth. A diverse church that only God can build and do what only God can do. If today you're convicted in your heart and you say, Lord, where do I start? Start with Jesus. Start with his grace. Start with his mercy. Start with his kindness. Start with his sacrifice. Start with what Jesus has done for you. And just know that that's the starting place of knowing it's enough. And you're gonna start to see that your world around you starts to become more and more diverse because that's his people. That's what it looks like. That's his church. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for how you're working. I thank you for what you've done and what you'll continue to do. I pray, God, that um, we learn from what it's saying here in Acts chapter 11 about just how there, there were those who were unnamed who spoke your truth. May we be close to you. May we be transformed by you. May we be sent by you to do the same. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.